0: Men are built for the demands of life. The breadth of our shoulders bears the weight of responsibility in our homes. The depth of our voices projects strength to the world. And the length of our stride, our ambition, propels us toward career success. Man Up for Life is the coaching and speaking brand you need to reach the heights of your individual and organizational greatness. Responsibility, power, and ambition will cease to overwhelm you and begin to inspire you. To get started today, contact Demetrius Love at manupforlife@yahoo.com at or at Man Up for Life across all social media platforms. Responsibility, power, ambition. Don't be overwhelmed. Be inspired. Start today. Thank me tomorrow. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of the Motown Philly podcast. I'm your co-host, Tim Golden here with my co-host. It's your boy, Jason
1: Hall. What up, though?
0: Yes, indeed. What up, though? That fabulous Detroit colloquialism. You've heard him, Jason Hall. He's from Motown, the Motor City. He is the Motown in Motown Philly from Detroit, Michigan. And yours truly, Tim Golden is the Philly in Motown Philly from that wonderful city of brotherly love. You heard it right, folks. 38 episodes with 38 episodes in, 38 weeks straight of bringing the kind of content to this podcast space that we believe is necessary and that we believe will help things grow and flourish into something great far beyond what Jason and I could ever have imagined. So with that in mind, I know, Jason, you have some gratitude you want to pass along, and I've got a ton of gratitude to give you to pass along. So take the baton, my brother, and tell the listening audience just how thankful we are for them.
1: Listen, guys, as Tim alluded to, we are super excited and super grateful for who you guys are and are becoming in our ecosphere of the Motown Philly podcast. What you're saying and what you're doing inside of the facebook group we do not take lightly or for granted continue to have conversations and ask questions bring other people in we know that um i know my guy demetrius he's brought in almost 20 people he told me this the other day and we're just super excited and grateful for the community that's building on the on the backbone of what is communication, connection, and community. Super grateful for you guys. Keep it up.
0: Yes, indeed. That's right. If I could just follow up with what Jason said, I'm just so grateful for everything that all of you do. From Thank you for making us part of your lives, for mm-hmm. listening to us in your cars, doing what you do every day. And, and for growing with us. So, all right, we can't do this without you and we can't do this without the guests that have agreed to be with us. And Jason, it's, it's my honor and mm-hmm. privilege now to get right into the interview with our guest on this episode 38 of the Motown Philly Podcast. Folks, today we are blessed to have with us none other than Solomon Jones. Solomon Jones is is an Essence best-selling author and award-winning journalist who has been featured nationally on NPR's morning edition, CNN Headline News, in Essence Magazine, and in a Verizon advertising campaign called Realize, which spotlighted entrepreneurs who overcame adversity to succeed. Jones is currently an award-winning columnist for the Philadelphia Daily News and morning host for 900 AM WURD Radio in Philadelphia. In addition, he is a frequent on-air commentator for NPR affiliate WHYY. Jones began his professional writing career in 1993, penning articles for the Philadelphia Tribune while living at the Ridge Avenue shelter. He graduated cum laude with a journalism bachelor of arts from Temple University in 1997 and went on to be published in Essence Magazine, Newsday, The Philadelphia Inquirer, Philadelphia Magazine, and the Philadelphia Weekly. His first novel, Pipe Dream, was published in 2001 by Random House. His subsequent novels include The Bridge, Ride or Die, Cream, Payback, The Last Confession, and The Gravedigger's Ball. His eighth novel, The Dead Man's Wife, was published in October, 2012 by St. Martin's Press. In total, Solomon Jones has published 11 books. There are eight novels, two short story collections, and 10 Lives, 10 Demands, a powerful and timely work of nonfiction. A married father of three, Solomon Jones is a national voice on marriage and fatherhood. His parenting columns have been published by Essence Magazine And a pilot based on jones's award-winning philadelphia daily news column was optioned by nbc's peacock productions a recipient of the american cities foundation's making a difference award the father's day rally committee's father of the year award the knight foundation's black male leadership award and community college of philadelphia's distinguished leadership award Jones has written two books of family humor and his clear channel radio commentaries on relationships and parenthood were produced as a 2005 CD called Wisdom. Solomon lives in Philadelphia with his wife and two youngest children and he is currently at work on his next novel. Ladies and gentlemen, can you join with me in welcoming to the Motown Philly podcast, Solomon Jones. Solomon, welcome and thank you for being with us.
2: Thank you so much for having me, man. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Well, Solomon, we have a lot to talk about. So we are here today to talk with Solomon Jones about his latest book, 10 Lives, 10 Demands, Life and Death Stories and a Black Activist's Blueprint for racial justice. So Solomon, again, thank you for joining us. And what I want to do for those of you who are listening so you can get the full flavor of just who Solomon is, Mm -hmm. I can tell you independent of his bio, I have known Solomon since we went to high school together in Philadelphia at Northeast High School in Philadelphia. Go Vikings. Solomon knows what that's all about. That's right. I, I remember Solomon from the days of being a of 14 and 15, 16-year-old jock on the football team playing JV football in 10th grade, varsity football in 11th, 12th grade, all the way up to the public league championship that we won when I was a junior in high school. And just knowing Solomon every step of the way, we lost contact with one another, but we then reconnected in our adult lives after high school. And I can just say that his bio, as impressive of his, as impressive as his bio is, it is nothing compared to the actual person behind the bio. Mm -hmm. And so I can testify to that personally. I'm honored to know him and and I am blessed that he is a part of my life. So with that said, I'm gonna read now the first two paragraphs from his book, 10 Lives, 10 Demands. And I just want you all to pay close attention to this. By the way, his book, 10 Lives, 10 Demands, is available on Amazon. I highly recommend that you go out and purchase it. Preface is titled, Black in the System. With dull and vacant eyes, I stared into the camera. My skin, normally the rich brown color of dark chocolate, was dry and gray. My unkept hair was dirty and tightly curled. My facial expression was that of a man resigned to the belief that he would die homeless and crack addicted. It was that picture, a mugshot from one of my seven arrests for charges ranging from retail theft to attempted burglary that marked my first television appearance. No one was asking my opinion on CNN back then. I was silly a piper crackhead, a disposable cog in the wheel of a drug culture that thrived on the desperation of people like me. But on that day, when they flashed my mugshot on Philadelphia's Fox 29, I achieved an infamy normally reserved for murderers. I was one of the city's most wanted and most viewers who saw my picture likely believed I deserved to be punished. More than two decades later, they believe the same thing about a black man named George Floyd. Uh, wow, Solomon! Mm-hmm. What a powerful, uh, powerful way to open your book. Mm-hmm. That is just an extraordinary picture that you paint, wow. and you, among obviously, you can see what a gifted writer uh, Solomon is. So, thank you, Solomon. I, I want to ask you. Uh, a a question because you, you really present a portrait of yourself as you, as you were. And we all know the man who you have become and who are today. Was there a turning point in your life? Solomon? Was there a moment? Is there a moment that you look back on and say, This is where I said enough is enough. So I guess what I'm asking is, was was the transformation that has taken place in your life? Was it more of an event or was it more of a process?
2: I think it was I think it was both. I think that it was a series of events that were part of a process. Um, If if I were to point to one event it would probably be um, when I was hospitalized. I was hospitalized in 1996. Um, it was the it was winter, and um, I was on my last run, and um, was living on the streets around Broad and Erie, and. I got a case of bacterial pneumonia. I didn't know what it was, but I knew I was having problems breathing. Somebody dropped me off at the hospital and they left and they kept me and, um, they put, um, an oxygen mass on my face and they put some, some tubes in my back and they, uh, sucked out this fluid that had gathered in my lungs and around my heart. Um, and, that saved my life they told me when i walked in there i had probably a 50 50 chance of of walking out alive and so um i had already been to rehabs and and detoxes and meetings and all the things that they tell you that you should do when you have that type of problem i had done it um several times and you know this time I, i just prayed i prayed and i meant it and um when you pray and you mean it, then you have some action that comes behind it, right? And so uh, my life began to take a different direction at that point. And, um, you know, I walked out of that hospital and, um, and went on to live my life, went to uh, Ridge Avenue shelter and, um, you know, went back home and, you know, just started the process of Of fixing all the things that had been broken.
0: Wow! So, wow! What a what a description! What a moment, Jason.
1: Yeah, Solomon. Um, just just like I was kind of mentioning to you before we hopped on, your story is so so you know fascinating from the point of view that we know you to be a totally different um dude now like Mm -hmm. your your past of course is your past but you carry it with you to share as a point of inspiration Mm -hmm. like i want to dig a little bit more deeper into like that process of restoration that process of growth um healing and things of that nature like sure this your story from whence you come from is 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 so like profound in the fact that you you were down in the gutter i mean so were they did you have a level of support what was your mindset how did you get like really clear to find to find that that North Star that you were like, I mean, you're a journalist. You're you're you you host a, a a a radio show you're on CNN like what was what was the process or what was the thing like what was the burning passion inside did you see some someone or somebody to say hey I can be that or I can do that or like where did that develop from or what was the thing inside of you that developed that said you know what I that's I I not just I gotta get out of here but there's my North star and I'm going for it what was that situation like well I think i I knew um
2: what I what I could be I knew what I was capable of um you know I just got caught up and so, so you always knew uh, that even when you were in like, I think, I think I did. I think I did. I think that, you know, I had gone to a, a, a fairly um, prominent um, middle school here mm-hmm. in, in Philadelphia. Masterman is uh, one of the top schools in, in the city. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I knew that I could write. Um, you know, I always talk about writing as, as something that I thought everybody could do. Mm-hmm. Um, until I realized that everybody couldn't. Uh, it's like when you go over somebody's house, you know, your mom is a good cook, and you think everybody's mom can cook until you go to somebody else's house. Right? right? right. <laughs> so mm, like,
1: she do She don't do
2: it like nah, Mama nah, does. She don't do it like Mom. You know what I mean? <laughs> that macaroni and cheese, something wrong with it. So, um, you know, I I uh, I knew that that I was a gifted writer. I just didn't know if anybody would want to read it or if it was something that I could actually make a living with. Um. Mm-hmm.
1: So you so, knew this even in, in high school, like you, you had talents that you were aware of, even at a young age. You just yes. went, you kind of went left or right, if you will. Mm-hmm. But you knew it was still in you. I did. I, okay. I knew that
2: that this was something that uh, was a gift that that I could do. Um, uh, Tim, I remember when, when we were in high school, he was playing football. I was a rapper. Right. And so um, and I was pretty good. Oh, OK. <laughs> um, you know, that was that was my first experience with with writing outside the classroom. I started doing that when I was in seventh grade. Um, I was able to write stories and always loved to learn and loved research and loved history. Um, but it wasn't cool to be smart. So I didn't, you know, like display that um, all, all the time. I thought, you know, there were some other things that I wanted to do, some other things that I wanted to try. Um and and so I did that. And mm-hmm. uh, but the turning point for me, I think, had to do with my writing. Um, if I tell a story in a in a linear way, um, I got out of high school. Um, I started working for the police department as a uh, police dispatcher. Mm-hmm. And um, that's when my addiction kind of took off. And so I left that job and and ended up, you know, pretty quickly losing all kind of stuff, losing uh, my my apartment, losing my money, losing my car, losing you know. Once all that was gone, my girl was gone too. She was mm. out, right? No and car. So, oh yeah, no she girl. was out. No car. Yeah, she gone. <laughs> and so, um, so I ended up you know, I ended up on the street, man, and and um, then ended up uh, being put out um, of of my mother's house, and then I ended up in a shelter and I stayed there and stayed in a program there. But we had a counselor there who asked me to write a, write something about what it was like to be in the shelter. And actually, that's where that preface, the name of that preface comes from, is from that first piece that I wrote um, for a counselor while I was in this shelter. There was a lady who was doing a newsletter for and, and by homeless people who I got to know and I showed her this piece that I wrote for this counselor and she then showed it to the editor of the Tribune and the editor Tribune loved it and they published it and they called it black in the system. Um, And it was my piece about what it was like to to live in this homeless shelter and to be in this place and to be in this condition. And when I saw that on paper, when I saw it in the paper, I walked from. The shelter at broad and fair down to broad and chestnut and i saw it and i just cried i cried mm-hmm. because i knew that my words um, were being read by who knows how many people and that those people were um, were being moved by those words and so that experience for me was uh was one of my turning points mm-hmm. Wow, good. that's wow. good.
0: Just for those of you that don't notice, I can I can speak on this firsthand. One of the practices when I was in high school was to show up in the lunchroom early, so that we could gather around the table, and somebody would get a beat. And when I say get a beat, what I mean is the clothes would be two two. You got two hands, right? The closed fist was the base.
1: That's right. Big drum.
0: And smacking on the table was the treble, and somebody start right getting the beat on the table, and and Solomon would start dropping a verse, right. <laughs> and and the the real excitement of going to school was the, the being there early. That was the best part of the day, and it used to get us uh, get us going, keep us energized, and and so I I sort of I mean I can't say that I. Could predict this then but knowing Solomon and having a few classes with him I always thought that he had a gift with words that that was something that I observed even when I was in in high school and you might not know this Solomon I don't think I ever said this to you but my father died when I was in high school And it sunk me into a pretty deep depression because he died right in front of me. Mm -hmm. My brother and I gave him CPR and he didn't make it. And I remember I sunk into a deep depression. And during my senior year, I had I had really fallen, you know, fallen away. And I was just having a hard time grieving his death and processing his death. And I remember listening to you in class one time. You were giving an answer and it was so crisp and it was so clear and I just remember saying to myself yo man I gotta be like sound." i was thinking to myself because you know when you're in high school you're not really sure you kind of have an idea what you might want to do or be but you're not sure and your peers influence you they do and I remember listening to you give that commentary in class and I was like Yo, man, I got to do better than this, man. Mm. I got to do better than this. Solomon
1: setting standards wow. up in high school.
0: Yeah, man. Wow. Absolutely. I was like, yo, man, I got to do better. Mm. You know, as bad as I felt about losing my, my father, I knew in that moment that when I looked at Solomon, I saw I had to get myself together. And it was inspiring wow. to see that. And from that point on, I really never looked back. Cause oh, I got wow. to college and I was like, "Yo, man, I gotta apply myself. You know, I gotta work hard. I can't be fooling around." And so, you know, you might not know that Solomon, but I, that's something I had to share, man. Cause you, you have inspired me greatly, and wow. in ways that that you don't even didn't might not even know. So, wow. I, yeah, I just wanted to I wanted to point that out. But Solomon, I have another question for you. So. Your novels, right? Your eight mm-hmm. novels revolve around life in and around Philadelphia. Yep. Is is that because Philly is where you get your inspiration? Did you choose Philadelphia for a specific reason because it's your hometown? What was your inspiration for writing your, your great works of, of fiction centered in and around Philly?
2: Um, I'll answer that. But first, I got to tell you that you inspired me. You're on my show, um, <laughs> on both of my shows. Cause I host two radio shows here in, in Philadelphia and, um, you're brilliant, brother. You are brilliant. Thanks. And, uh, and that's True. an inspiration for me uh, right now. I'm not talking about when we were high. I'm talking about now. Uh, and so I, I appreciate that and, and just appreciate everything that you, that you bring, man, that, that richness, of uh and that depth of knowledge because a lot of people don't have depth they know what's in what the headline is you know the history you know the context you know you know all of these things J- jason's shaking his head because he know, you know I mean? <laughs> so, uh, that, that brilliance man i i appreciate it and and uh my listeners appreciate it too Thank so you. in terms of me writing about it's
1: philadelphia right. yeah
0: just because i told the story about how you inspired me in high school doesn't uh-huh. mean that you still don't inspire me today. <laughs> so Thank want... you man. Yeah, but i'm sorry. Go ahead. You talk Thank about you. Philly being your inspiration. What what was it about Philly that that made you makes you write about it so much in your work?
2: I know it. I know Philly well. And you know one of the first rules of of being a good writer is is writing what you know. I know Philly very well I know the alleys I know the cracks and crevices I know the rooftops I know the hiding places I know the politics I know the media I know the police and so all of those things that I experienced made their way in into my work and I think gave it that richness and that depth that uh, that you need in order to really make people feel what you're writing wow wow
0: that's great
1: Man, I, go ahead, Jay. I want to um, just kind of interject with this question, um, so- Solomon. Our our show, the backbone truly of our show, is about communication, connection, and community. And it's apparent to me that as you, as I, kind of dug in a little bit of the research of who you are and, and what you do i know that the three of those things ring true to you i yes. i want to touch on um and we've touched on it on a, in a lyric li- literary, literary written sense mm-hmm. um i want to kind of expound on it on an expressive like speech sense like your voice like when did you like realize how important overall your ability to communicate um and to be vocal if you will about your causes about um the things that you do on on your two radio shows like when did you first start finding your voice like when did you start speaking up and communicating the things that you had experienced maybe some of the the things that you saw in your community that wasn't really right like, you are truly an inspirational man like inspiration might be ooz, uh, not might be it It <laughs> oozes off of you it's to, to to those who come into your sphere of influence when did you find your voice when was that n- not just in the writing but just in the totality of you just opening up your mouth and you know to where cnn is like yo i need to hear what i need to hear what solomon got to say about this yeah so when did that come about wow i think in terms of um
2: writing when I was in high school I was rapping about apartheid in South Africa mm-hmm. you know, everybody else was rapping about girls and in 40s and well 40s were well, now you had courts and <laughs> tall boys and all this stuff and <laughs> and you know I had some of that too but I was interested in what was going on in the world around me um, I was interested in justice I was interested in in race probably not to the extent that i am now but but it was something that was of interest to me tim and i both went to schools where you had white kids too and and there was a difference you know Mm -hmm. in the in the community where you lived in the community where you went to school Mm -hmm. um there was a difference in how people interacted um and so i was interested in in all of that then i think in terms of finding my voice um, in a way that I, I could vocalize some of the problems that we were going through, I think that that kind of came about with radio um, mm. for me. I think one of the first things that I did in radio was uh, commentary. So I did commentary and I wasn't paid. I did it for free for uh, WDAS, one of the stations here when Carter and Sanborn I believe were on that station Mm -hmm. um and because first they were on 99 and I believe they moved to DAS but anyway I I was doing commentary for them and um one of our radio legends here asked me to do it this guy named Butterball Butterball has since passed but he asked me to do this commentary and I started doing this commentary and it became like this poetic thing um and then I, I took those poems and I um, published them as a CD and mm-hmm. and then um I started to use the poems and speeches. People would ask me to do speeches after I wrote my first book. I'm like, me, why? Why do you want me to speak? You know, well, you wrote this book, okay? well, I'll speak. and and so hmm. I, I began to realize that people cared about what I had to say. And um when I realized that they cared about what I had to say, I realized that I had something to say, right? And mm. so um, I think that's when, that's when I began to find my voice. Love it. Wow. Love it. Uh, Ms. Solomon, you're touching on so many things that we're
0: all about here at Motown Philly. Our, our podcast mission is communication, connection, community. Mm-hmm. And the types of things that you're talking about now, using artistic expression, to really help you find a voice, not only your own personal voice, but a voice that is political, a voice that is engaged with the real world and real world problems that people have. And that's one of the things that I think a lot of people underestimate about art is that when when you find your voice, mm-hmm. you, you find your voice, it's almost, like the genesis account in creation there's there's chaos in your life and then out of the chaos you sort of call order into it so Mm -hmm. i like to say the first poem ever spoken was let there be light Mm -hmm. right and and in a way that's what you did when you left the hospital right Mm -hmm. you you said let there be light you said this this is chaotic it's terrifying it's empty You know, Genesis one, two says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was on the face of the deep and the spirit of God moved. The Hebrew word is hovered over the face of the waters. And it's in that context of all that fear, all that terror, all that chaos, that God says, let there be light. And I think because we are made in his image, we are little I am's, right? We have the same, we have a capacity to create light from darkness. And, and I think what's so beautiful about your story for me is, is how you literally used your gifts with words at every step of the way to, to sort of propel you into the person that you are today. I just, I think that's, that's fabulous. Along those lines, Solomon, I, I wanna ask you this question. As a writer, what do you see as the relationship between storytelling and liberation? Mm-hmm. The personal liberation in, in terms of your individual story or collectively, in the case of black people, for example. So I'm thinking about, you know, African American writers and yeah. and and how many African American writers like James Baldwin. Right, mm-hmm. James Baldwin was always using his pen in conjunction with his voice, and he never let he never let one function without the other. And that's one of the things that I so admire about you and your work. So, what what could you tell us, Solomon, about storytelling and how that impacts liberation and and freedom from a personal and collective group standpoint?
2: Wow, I think that's that's an excellent question. I think that as a writer one of the scariest things you face is a blank screen right because you know that the only way that that blank screen is going to get filled is if you do it Mm. Um, you know for old school writers it was a blank page Um, you know and the only way it's going to get filled is if you do it and so it is at once intimidating and challenging it's both at the same time and so uh, the the thing that is liberating about storytelling is facing your fear of having to be the one to fill that page or fill that screen um, and at the same time rising to the challenge of doing it Um, that's liberating it's liberating to um, to share a story with an audience, knowing that they might reject it, they might hate it, right? I mean, that's just true, you know, um, but it's liberating to, to do it anyway, because it's a story that you had to tell. Um, and so I think that that same principle applies to to groups. We tell our stories because we have to. We tell our stories to face our fear. We tell our stories to rise to the challenge. And we tell our stories to liberate us from um from 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 just keeping them inside and hiding them out of fear of of other people rejecting them or rejecting us or rejecting our rights uh or rejecting our aspirations. Uh and so you tell your stories in order to to gain freedom as a people. You know, if if our folks Had not stood up and said, you know, we don't want to live in this condition anymore and told the stories of of those of of that condition, you know, telling those stories after the Great Depression in that uh, in the storytelling projects that came out of um, the government and, you know, told the stories of what happened during slavery, told the stories of what happened during Jim Crow as as. As fearful as they might have been to tell those stories and as reluctant as they might have been and even ashamed to tell those stories. They told them anyway. And there's a freedom in that, man, because it allows people to understand what it is that you are facing and what it is that you aspire to. So there is no freedom without storytelling. There is no freedom without truth. And, and you know, stories are based in truth. And so you have to tell them in order to in order to free yourself from whatever lies, uh, people have you entrapped in. Mm. Mm. Wow,
0: Solomon, that is <laughs> that is powerful. Mm. That is powerful. I had a follow up question, but as fate would have it, it escapes me right now. So. Don't worry,
1: don't worry. I got, I got one. <laughs> um, I got one for you. Okay, um, Solomon, the there's probably more it sounds like there's so many stories inside of your one story um and i'm sure your stories just like tim talked about earlier your stories often touch other people so that they might aspire to be better aspire to achieve aspire to grow um i i want to kind of dig a little bit deeper into your story when it comes to the connection part of what you, of what tim and i often do you have communication and we talk about our words and how your words become life in 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 the minds of other people what i'm thinking about you specifically as you started to kind of come out of where you were which was a dark place for you um what who was the connections that you had that were in a way supportive and continue to like help you and lead you to that place because i know that i mean sometimes it seems like it just seems like a person is so strong and they were able to and we know better pull themselves mm-hmm. up by their bootstraps and if the to- if the story was told in true fashion, like these individuals have other people around them that love that support that encourage that motivates like, who was that who like Tim is that for me, I'll just be totally transparent. Like there's not too many days or uh, that go by if at all any that I don't connect with Tim on some personal level just to share what's going on in my life to to Glean some advice some encouragement some direction who was that for you as you were really trying to like put your foot your you know find firm footing and and start striving and achieving some of these goals that you knew that were in you know god had place and purpose inside of you yeah well i
2: think my mother who never gave up mm. on me um was was one of those people she was an anchor for me um she was somebody who was always there when i wanted to do right um but somebody who was strong enough to let me go when i Mm. wanted to do wrong right Mm. um and so Mm. she has always been an an anchor for me i think um my daughter my oldest daughter adrian was um one-year-old, I think, when I went into Ridge Avenue shelter. I had been clean. I I relapsed after she was born. And, um, you know, I went into the shelter system when when she was very little. But, you know, I wanted to be a good father, wanted to be involved in her life. And, you know, I think that eventually I was able to do that. But, um, you know, those kinds of family relationships um, were relationships that were always important to me I, I wasn't always um, good enough or, or diligent enough or strong enough um, to actually do all of the things that I wanted to do but the desire was there and so those things drove me um, I think to, to be better and to do better you know my wife who i met um actually in high school but uh <laughs> who i who i started dating later when i went back to college um in 1997 our first date july 5th
1: 1997. Mm, remember and, that i remember that <laughs> uh, right
2: and so, so. we okay. uh she she has been somebody who's been um an, an inspiration for me she is such a strong woman of faith. Um, and, and that God knew what I needed He needed somebody that was always going to point me back to him Okay, yeah, you mad about this You disappointed about that And you ready to go off about this What about, what is God saying to you right now What? Let's let's go to the word let, Matter of fact, let's pray, you know And okay. sometimes it gets on my nerves Because I'll be like, I don't want to pray I just want to be mad Just let me be mad right now mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, That's but real. Uh, That's real. You know, I, I think um god will put people in your life man who serve as who serve as anchors um who serve as as uh as road signs you know stop go you know what i mean um and and who serve as inspiration and so those those are some of the people my children um who my brother said your kids spoil i'm like oh, i just want them to have stuff i didn't I want them to have the 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 same kind of um, support that people from other cultures do. They don't have to worry about certain things, you know, what struggle, I mean? so, like they need to do. Right.
1: They need to do is, you know, experience what I experienced. No, right. they don't necessarily have to do that. No, they
2: don't. And so, you know, all of that, I think, is is uh, is important to me. My family, my family has been my inspiration. True, Love it oh
0: man all right folks listen we will be right back on the other side of this short break where we will continue our conversation with solomon jones stay tuned don't miss it we'll see y'all on the other side hello motown philly family you all need to know that this podcast is sponsored by the speakers mechanic The Speaker's Mechanic is a business enterprise of my co-host, Jason Hall, who is a communication skills coach, and he's also published author of a book called A Vocal Owner's Manual. He works with professionals who are looking to improve their communication skills, and I guarantee you that if you work with him, He will improve yours. Check out his book on Amazon. Again, it's called a vocal owner's manual, and you will be certain once you check him out to improve and get better, because here at Motown Philly, that's what we're all about, and that's what his brand, The Speaker's Mechanic, is all about. Thanks so much for tuning in, and thanks to The Speaker's Mechanic for this sponsorship. All right, folks, welcome back to episode 38 of the Motown Philly podcast. Here we are. Yours truly, Tim Golden, with Jason Hall, and we are having an inspiring and uplifting conversation with Solomon Jones, writer, journalist, and all around fabulous human being. Mm-hmm. And so we're just going to continue that conversation right now. Solomon, I, I wanna bring your your journalism work into focus now because you, you've done so much wonderful work with artistic expression and with works of fiction and short stories, but I wanted to ask you in a, in a real sort of almost public policy sense, because 10 Lives, 10 Demands is not only a powerful narrative of how black life is disposable in America, but you also present some policy proposals with each description that you think can help correct some of the problems that we face in terms of this country and policing. Could you tell us what prompted you or what inspired you to write 10 Lives, 10 Demands?
2: So when the George Floyd protests were happening, um, there was a leader here in Philadelphia who convened a meeting and all of the black leadership was in the room, or most of it. Um, clergy, elected officials, community leaders, and they brought in some young people who were activists and so the protests are going on outside. These young people are, are in the room and they're activists. Um, and they asked them, OK, well, what is it that you want? And the young people couldn't really articulate what they wanted. And for me, that kind of encapsulates a lot of what we've seen around the protests that we've had. Um, is that you have people who know that they're angry They know that they want things to change um, and we have every right to be angry and should be angry and should want things to change but we have to know what our specific demands are Um, and too often we don't and so I wrote this book as sort of a guide um, to talk about things that have actually worked um, and to talk about strategies that we can actually implement in order to bring about the change that we need. Um, so that's why I wrote it.
0: That's great, Solomon. Great. I'll, I'll come back later and ask about some of the specific policy proposals that mm-hmm. you offer in 10 Lives, 10 Demands. And then we'll we'll have some discussion around that, but I wanna pass it back over to Jason.
1: I was just a little curious uh, about that, the, the book title. Solomon without you giving it all away <laughs> mm-hmm. 10 lives help me out like are we are we talking about 10 specific lives we are um, yeah
2: we are we're talking about uh, 10 people um, who were impacted by the uh, by the criminal justice system people who were wrongfully imprisoned people who were shot and killed people who uh, we're from different parts of our community um, and, and people who were in situations that illustrate some of the other stuff that that we go through, I think, on a daily basis. And so we look at some cases that people know about um, and we look at some that people don't. Um, Trayvon Martin is, is somebody that people know about. Uh, Whereas Deborah Danner is somebody that people don't. And so looking at those cases and and allowing them to um, to illustrate first the horror that that we are experiencing at the hands of of these systems, but then to look at some of the reasons behind it, some of the um, things that cause it and then some of the solutions that we could use to uh, to avoid it beautiful.
0: Just just for those of you just to follow up on that Jason, I'm going to read the table of contents of Solomon's book. And those of you who are listening out there in the Motown Philly family, if there's ever a guest who embodies the mission of Motown Philly, communication, connection, and community, it is Solomon Jones. You if you don't have 10 lives, 10 demands, you need to make it your business to go out and get this book as soon as possible, because in a world where abstract theory tends to reign supreme and where protests seem to fall victim to the to the viability of the news cycle, 10 Lives, 10 Demands presents us with a real challenge based on real lives. So chapter one is titled George Floyd, Why We Demand Reparations. Chapter two is Michael Brown, the case for consent decrees. Chapter three is Hassan Bennett, the case for compensation. Chapter four is Breonna Taylor, the case for body cameras. Chapter five is Eric Garner, the case for public records. Chapter six is Alton Sterling, the case for changing federal law. Chapter seven is Tamir Rice, the case for independent prosecutors. Chapter eight is Trayvon Martin, the case against stand your ground laws. Chapter nine is Deborah Danner, the case for defunding the police. Chapter 10 is Sandra Bland, the case for ending racial profiling. Folks, you need to get this book because the names I just called and Solomon, I'm sure you'll agree with this. This could have been
2: 60 lives. Oh, absolutely. Yep. Easily. Yes.
0: And and I'm sure one of the more difficult things for you to do was select what, in your judgment as the writer, were paradigm cases, Right? were were cases that would sort of stand out and help catch the public's attention. Because the reality is that the list I've just read is not exhaustive right it's i mean it's a list that is a list of illustration it's not a list of limitation right? right and so that's the sad part about all of this is that the list could be so much longer yeah and and i'm just grateful that you have decided to take on this this task and and folks listen when i tell you that you need to read what Solomon has to say. You absolutely need to read what he has to say because it's a it's a really good thing um, for for the world to see these lives and and the public policies that can come from them, so that their lives are not in vain. Thank you, mm-hmm. Solomon. You're welcome, brother. You are welcome, Solomon. Listen, man. One of the things you said at the very very beginning. And it was so powerful. You said, you know, when you pray and you mean it, Mm. there's always going to be action behind your prayer. It won't just be words. We live in this world where everybody wants to manifest, right? Yeah. Well, I'm going to just sit here and pray and manifest. And it don't work that way, Mm -mm. right? You know, you pray, you got to work. That's right. It it doesn't just come to you, it doesn't Mm -mm. just show up, right? I always thought that. You know, for those of you who are Christians out there listening, I always thought that the blueprint for success was the trinity of thought, speech, and action. Mm -hmm. You know, you conceive of an idea, you talk about the idea, and then you get to work on executing the idea, right? That's right. That's how you bring the word into flesh. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole model, right, for the Christian gospel, Mm -hmm. is this idea that the word is made flesh. Now, if you don't want to make your word flesh and speak in vain and just talk, you could do that. But what I like about your work as a journalist, and now really I'm talking about your work as a community activist, (laughs) is that you're not just talking about doing things or how bad things are you have translated that into a high level of community engagement. Again, folks here at Motown Philly, we're about communication, connection and community. And one of the things that you're doing in Philadelphia, Solomon, is your work with Man Up PHL. Man Up PHL. Solomon, can you tell us a little bit about the founding of the organization its purpose and the work that you do with it
2: yes so man up phl um started when my son's friend was shot and killed he was 15 years old Um, he was his classmate and i went to the funeral and this young man had on the same school uniform that my son was wearing at the time and all i could see was my own child Um, I looked around. It's like 200 people in the room grieving, you know, community members, family members, teachers, other students. And and this trauma is repeated in Philadelphia every year, hundreds of times. And so we got whole communities, man, that are just traumatized, that have dealt with this gun violence, that have lost people at these unbelievably young ages. And I just felt like there was something that I could do because I had a platform. And so I called for black men to come out uh, to a meeting. It was in November of 2019. And you know, you can't leave the sisters out. So I called for black men and the sisters came anyway. They're like, yeah, whatever, we we're gonna be there too. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it turned out to be a, a standing room only meeting where we talked about mentoring as a strategy where we would show young men whatever it was that we had to teach. Um, whether it was how to maintain a family how to keep a job um, how to uh, take care of of yourself um, you know how to live and and it was about using that strategy in order to um, help young men escape from gun violence and so we did that um, in a number of ways we we had meetings we, uh, help people get jobs we gave people food we gave them give you know we were trying everything man and just trying to figure out as we went you know how how can we be most impactful the pandemic hit we had to move the ment- mentoring sessions online and then on the other side of uh, that pandemic when things started to open up again we decided to go with a, a strategy we call listening to the streets, bringing young brothers in, we put a curriculum together, and um, we talked to them about gun violence, and we paid them a stipend for their time, and uh, we gave them a meal every night, and and at the end of it, we helped them to get jobs, um, and so you know we did that with with varying measures of success, and it's interesting that you asked me about that today because the Inquirer just wrote a piece on all of the uh, organizations that got city grants so uh of course these are all organizations of color and so they wrote it in a way that they tried to make everybody look incompetent or uh or dishonest or ineffective right and so um we worked with uh 79 people through our listening to the streets initiative our goal was to work with 240 but we We didn't reach that goal. And so we didn't spend all the money. Um, And so the city gave us an extension and we decided to go into schools and and do it that way, because uh, that's where the violence is headed. And so, you know, um, in in making that decision and in kind of changing course, it helped us, I think, to solidify what we were doing and what we continue to do. And it's just good to talk to you all about it, man, because folk will try to make you feel like what you are doing is not enough. Right. But -hmm. the reality is that when we started this thing, we started it because one young man died. And there were 200 people in the room. And so if we help one young man, right, uh, then that's 200 people who don't have to be traumatized. If we help one young man and that's uh, a daughter that's going to see her father and and he's going to raise her. If we help one young man and that's a mother that doesn't have to be up at night worrying about whether or not her son is going to come home. And so, um, you know, if God is in it, man, it's always enough. You know what I mean? And so um, we continue to do this work, man. We continue to do this work. And I'm proud of the work and it's hard work. And, um, it's work that I volunteer to do. I run this organization as a volunteer and it's sometimes it's more than my day job in the work that's required, mm-hmm. but I do it because I love my people. And, um, I'm just grateful for all the people who, who've allowed us to kind of, to get to this point.
1: Sounds good. I, I have a follow-up, um, thought and question to that. uh, uh, Solomon I love what you're doing it I think it 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 definitely resonates with me and Tim um when it comes to communication um I'm also um communication skills coach and I am someone who is quite intrigued with communication and the ability to articulate oneself you mentioned about um you know as you began to write your book Uh, you seem to notice that there were challenges in the community of knowing how to articulate some of the things that um that were ailing you know the demographic of of people who look um, like like you and me Mm -hmm. and it's just like how do i get they have these feelings they have these thoughts they have these emotions maybe even ideas or maybe just a sentiment of an idea Um, and it's just like, I don't under, I don't know how to get that outside of me out into the world. And then you think about these young men who you mentor and you touch and you try to help them live and have live and begin to foster a better life, a better way and an, an understanding, some type of structure. My, I guess my question is in the forms of communication because it's so important and we're all here because we are communicators in our own right in various ways how do you or do you do you find that communicating effective communication in the demographic that you normally see on a day-to-day basis that you pour into that um, communication can be a struggle and if it is like how do you do you, do you find that a priority to kind of help, um, isolate and and make better? Or are there other programs to help one or a group realize that, Hey, we got to do better with, with, um, articulating our ideas, our thoughts, our feelings in order that we are just become better people and have better relationships. Like what is your, what is, what is the scope if you will of that being on your radar when it comes to the the development of 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 youth in our in our culture yeah i
2: think it's interesting so as i said we started out working with men um age 18 to 35 and we started out working with men ironically because that was what we could do immediately Mm -hmm. um, without doing five background checks and uh and and a bunch of training and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff Um, and we ended up having to do that stuff anyway as we went back into schools but so I've seen both Um, I've seen men who have problems communicating and I've seen young people who have problems communicating I Mm -hmm. think that unfortunately they're not taught how to communicate Um, and they dumb themselves down and I, I recognize that because I did it mm-hmm. and I think that um, you know one of the things that we've tried we've tried to have sessions because when we have sessions with men we let them say what they want you say what you want you know what I mean communicate how you want and so there's a lot of n words and b words and MF this and it's, you know there's a whole lot of that yeah. and a couple of times we've just said okay today we're going to have a session where you don't use any profanity. um mm. and and you're gonna this is the way you're gonna communicate. Um, but what I found is that the best way to model communication to them is to just talk to them and then just be real with them. um and and they begin to mimic the way that you speak. Um they begin to uh, to feel comfortable expressing themselves. Um, In in ways that they might not have done before I think the other thing with communication With with the men that we deal with Is just allowing them to talk man And listening to them And actually asking them What are your goals? What are your dreams? You know I've had brothers 26, 27 years old Nobody ever asked me that before I don't know how to answer that Because nobody ever asked me that before Okay well I'm going to give you a chance to think about it (laughs) So that you can (laughs) answer it because it's important. It, and I think when people realize that you actually care what they have to say, then they will communicate in a way that's effective. That's that's, that's with the men. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the boys. Um, there have been some boys that tell me I want to be a rapper. OK. Tell you what. Write me a rap with no cursing in it and I'll put it on the radio. Write me a one minute rap. And I'll put it on the radio so I'm waiting for one young man to to give me that he said he wrote it and and he wants me to hear it he doesn't want anybody else to hear it but me so I'm like okay I know you must have did it but you know I think that the key to helping our folk to communicate is to listen and
1: to care Hmm. yes sir
2: wow
0: so man that is (laughs) in, in that one answer to Jason's question you have encapsulated Everything that the Motown Mm. podcast is all Mm. about—aspects of communication, the connection with people, and the community that you build with Mm -hmm. people—and what's so powerful about that is that it shows that human beings need each other. Yes, right. I mean, nobody does anything on their own. Mm -hmm. I mean, for sure, Solomon, you made the decision when you left the hospital that you were going to change your life. But your attempts at changing your life depend on the cooperation of other people. That's right. Right? It depends on the help of other people. Nobody can do things on their own. And that's one of the myths of contemporary American politics, right? Right. that the individual is so powerful that he or she can do anything on their own when the reality is, even if you are an entrepreneur and you say, oh, I'm just going to read, I'm going to be self-taught, what are you reading? Who wrote the books that you're reading? That's right. right? Right. I mean, you can't say I did this on my own. Nobody can say that. That's mm-hmm. ridiculous. I mean, the only self sufficient being is God. Right? Mm-hmm. Beyond that, we all need each other. So that's, right. that's a very, very powerful thing that you're doing with with man up in, in Phil in Philadelphia, Solomon. Uh, wow what a what a fabulous fabulous work that you're doing. Solomon talk a little bit if you can about your work in radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, what how did you get started in radio and and I I just say folks I'm blessed to be part of a small part of what Solomon does in that I you know I have a weekly segment on both of his radio programs and I'm very grateful for that because it gives me an opportunity to stay connected to the city that I love. Solomon, mm-hmm. I like you, brother. I, I love Philly, man, yeah. well, all it's all its warts. And Jason, no, because I talk to Jason about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Jason said, man, I love Philly because you love Philly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about Allen Iverson being my favorite basketball player. And, you know, Jason is a sports geek like me. So mm-hmm. we always talk about sports and stuff like that. And and so that, that Philly spirit is, is real, but. Can you can you talk a little bit about your work as a as a radio journalist in radio broadcasting because sometimes people who are really gifted with writing might not have the same ability with speaking but you seem to be able to do both really well and so could you tell us a little bit about how you got started in radio
2: to the point where you have these two shows so I uh, um got into radio through my writing. I had been doing a, um, a column for an online journalistic organization called access Philly. And that was, um, one of the things that I had done after doing so many other things I had worked for city council. I had worked for a congressman. I had, uh, early in my career, of course, been a a police dispatcher and, Um, had lived on the streets. And so I had lived a little bit by the time I got to Access Philly, had written for the Philadelphia Weekly and for uh, the Philadelphia Daily News and for the Philadelphia Tribune. Um, And so I'm working at this place called Access Philly and it's a nonprofit. And the nonprofit, because they could not raise enough money to maintain itself, uh, the nonprofit was in the process of folding. And so I heard from Sarah Lomax Reese, who who was the uh, is the president and CEO of WURD Radio. And she said, well, I'm interested in, you know, some of the stuff you've done around data. Would you like to come in and, and be our program director? And I had done a little bit of commentary in radio, but I had never really worked in radio. And so I wasn't interested in that. But we continued to talk and uh, she said, well, there's an opening on our morning show. Would you like to uh, try out as the morning show host? And that was around the time of Michael Brown and Ferguson. And so I get on the radio and the radio is pretty much doing itself. I didn't have to do anything but take the calls. People were uh, livid. And and activated, and I loved it. I loved the interaction. I loved the um, the ability to uh, give an opinion and to um, to to argue about it, and, and to hear about it, and to fight about it, and and to, you know just work it out. I love that. And so um, I became the morning show host. That was my first radio job, was the morning show host for, for WURD Radio. And um, did that for a few years, then got an opportunity at Radio One. So I left Word, I went to Radio One, and I went to a station called Praise 107.9. That station then changed formats a couple years in. And I was ready to hand in my resignation and they said, well, look, you're going back to work. Why can't you do both? And so um, I had the opportunity uh, rather than just leave. I had the opportunity to do to do both. And so I do commentary on Classics 107.9. I do uh, community affairs for for their radio cluster here in, in Philadelphia. And I also do the morning show on WURD.
0: Solomon brother you are extraordinary literally <laughs> you, you are extraordinary right
1: <laughs> oh man what a what a powerhouse brother mm-hmm. man so, Solomon I dare not classify you a, as a as a jack of all trades but I am interested in you knowing and knowing cuz you, you you are so gifted in so many things talented skilled my question is like which one or two of the thing, of the many things that you do, like is your is is your baby, or is your like love, your passion, your your thing that you know you can you can wake up and just do that, and you just breathe it in and breathe it out, and but I, we already know you do so many things, but like which one or two things that you just like, man, I just if I could do this all day, I just I'd be in heaven. <laughs> I think uh, I think
2: my writing is the core of everything that I do. Mm. Um, you know, it's the basis for the shows that I do. Um, it is what allows me to prepare and be ready for what I do. I do as much work off air on those shows as I do on air. And so, you know, a lot of radio hosts might prepare for a half hour. Now I'm doing three hours um, every night. You oh, know, wow. And so I'm going to be up late tonight uh, preparing <laughs> for tomorrow. But uh, but, you know, I mean, it, it is what it is. That's what that's what I think sets what I do apart from what other folks might do. And it's not to say that there's any wrong or, or right way to do it. But that's the way that I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, And it's the way that I'm I'm comfortable. And so, you know, I, I'm on the minister ministerial staff at my church and so i get to write some sermons and i I write uh commentaries for my show and i write commentaries for other people's shows and um so the writing is really at at the center of everything that i do cool
1: really cool Mm -hmm.
0: solomon jones wow solomon i am just blown away i'm gonna go out on a limb and tell our listening audience that if you turn the clock back a hundred years you would count the name Solomon Jones amongst the literary giants of African American history, and mm. Hughes, Zora Neale Hurston. I suspect that instead of about t- instead of talking about how late you're going to be up tonight, mm. you would be talking about catching the train back from Harlem to Philadelphia to wow. see you, because yeah. you would be definitely part of the Harlem Renaissance. And- Thank you, brother. Solomon, I just, um, I'm so impressed uh, by you. You continue to impress and inspire. And I know that you brought so much today to our listening audience, communication, connection, community. That's what we're all about here, folks. I want to, I want to just sort of wrap this up because we don't want to keep you up too late, Solomon. We know you got work to do. One of the things that inspires me about Solomon is that I see him As standing in the legacy squarely in the legacy of Ida B. Wells, and Ida B. Wells is led the anti-lynching campaign from about 1892 to 1900. You heard Solomon talk about how Man Up, PHL, or Man Up Philadelphia was born out of the tragedy of his son's friend being killed, and Ida B. Wells' activism became real to her when two of her black male friends were lynched Mm. and she went on a lynching campaign and actually produced statistical data, empirical evidence to show that black men were not the sexual monsters that the postbellum South was making them out to be. Mm. And she said that they were actually having consensual sex with white women. And this was a real scandal because it upended the prevailing myths of the day. And so Ida B. Wells and, and Solomon Jones stand in this space of myth destruction. They destroy myths. And Ida B. Wells once said that, quote, the way to right wrongs is to turn the light of truth upon them. And that's that's, exactly, that's exactly what uh-huh. Solomon Jones does. He does it in his writing. He does it in his uh, broadcast journalism. He does it in his in his written journalism. He does it in his fiction, his short stories, and his powerful work of nonfiction. Ten Lives, Ten Demands. Get this book, folks. Mm-hmm. Get it. Study it. Read it. And by all means, apply its principles to your to your lives and and find out what you can do. To help in the community in which you live to make the world a better place than when you found it. Solomon, I love you. And thank I love you. you too, man. Thank you, Tim. I
2: appreciate you. you, brother. I really do. Jason, great to meet you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate you both.
0: Solomon Jones, can you tell us, brother, where folks can find you?
2: Where can they find you? Yep. They can find me on uh, social media on twitter and instagram at solomon jones one the number one um they can also find me on my website solomonjones.com um and they can find me on facebook also at solomon.jones jay
1: where can they find you man you can find me on instagram at the speakers mechanic you can find me on linkedin jason hall speech and communication coach where can they find you tim
0: you can find yours truly on Instagram at a good golden man. You can find me on Twitter at D R T J golden ESQ. And you can find me on Facebook at Tim golden in that rip roaring metropolis of Walla Walla Washington. Three things in life for certain death taxes. And I am the only black man in Walla Walla Washington named Tim golden. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. So we just want to again thank you all for listening and tuning in. Please remember to go to the Motown Philly Podcast Facebook group. We'll be we'll be dropping this episode in there very soon, and please keep uploading. Uh, keep, I mean, I'm sorry, keep downloading, mm-hmm. keep listening, and subscribe to get upload notifications. Go write a review on Apple Podcasts. This is, this is why we do it. This is what we're about. And the content we gave you today, this is par for the course here at Motown. Mm-hmm. Yo, I do believe, Jason and Solomon, that we are out of here like Vladimir. All right.